Well, if you could uh, remain standing for the reading of God's word, we will be in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this afternoon to look to you for strength. In a time of doubt, in a time of pain, suffering, confusion, we look to your word for strength to endure the times that are upon us. We know that this year is a year like no other, and we pray that as we enter into this Advent season, That we focus on our attention not only on the importance of your birth, but the importance and significance of you coming again. I pray that you use the time and efforts put into this gathering to bring each of us closer to you. We pray that the worship and the message, your gospel message will be heard loud and clear and that hearts will be changed. We thank you for what you have done and who you are. May you be glorified today until you return and for eternity to come. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, aloha. Good afternoon. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving as I did. And uh, we are so thankful that you came to join us this afternoon uh, and spent time with us to go through the word to learn what the Lord has to show us, especially this being the beginning of the Advent season. And if you happen to be one of the fortunate ones who were able to travel to see family this holiday season, and you're here for us, and you're here with us for the first time, or you're just checking us out, we we really want to welcome you to our gathering this afternoon. My name's Toby. I am one of the board members here at Shore Break, and Pastor Leo is our teaching pastor. And as we enter into... This time of Advent, uh, we'll be taking a break from our current study in the book of Ephesians, obviously. And for these next four weeks, we'll be drawing our attention to different passages in Scripture that focus on Advent. We'll be looking at these Scriptures that focus on the second coming of Christ. And so I'm excited, not only to preach today, but to hear what the Lord is going to show us over these next several weeks. So what do we think about when we think about Advent? What are the things that come to mind? 
And not necessarily the things that remind you of Advent, like the calendars or the wreaths or the candles. And not just looking for a definition, but more personally. What was Advent like for you when you grew up? What were the things that you remember most with your family or with your church? Maybe traditions that you continue to do with your family now, or maybe traditions or experiences that you prefer to forget. I think many of us, regardless of what that memory is or continues to be, we do feel at this time there's a sense of loss. When we started to talk about Advent as a family, I know I immediately began to think of how different things were last year. Remembering how great a time it was, not that it wasn't without its own issues. But I think it would be hard not to compare, especially as we start to bring out our Christmas decorations, uh, finish up our Thanksgiving leftovers, and reminisce over uh, our expectations and what they were. It's a depressing time that continues to be filled with uncertainty. We enter this season with a different mindset. We are forced to take into account all the changes that have occurred and make decisions that we didn't expect to have to make for ourselves, for our families or our friends. And it is important to enter this season with a different mindset, regardless of how we were put into this situation to begin with. This is important because we should always be entering into an Advent season with a different perspective in mind. We should be in a different place in our lives. We should be expecting that God is working in and through our lives in ways that we couldn't and shouldn't have been able to predict. And so with that, as we will be taking a bit of a different focus for Advent this year, we don't want to minimize or take away from the focus and joy and celebration of birth of Jesus and the time leading up to Christmas. But, It is also important to realize and understand how the second coming of Christ gives us a way to see the hope and the love that the Lord provides for us amidst a time of such despair and depression. Advent is specifically a time of waiting. And prior to Christ being born, the time of waiting was directed toward the waiting for a Savior to come the waiting for the Savior to be born. And now, with Jesus' death, we as believers have been promised that Jesus will come again. We don't know when, but we do know that he will come again. He has made this promise, which is well documented throughout Scripture. Almost too many to list, but not only the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, And so through this passage in 2 Peter, we will not only look at what challenges this brought the believer at the time of this letter, but how this continues to apply to us today, and especially as it applies to the waiting and the hastening of his return. Now, I remember growing up and and having fond memories of Christmas, hopefully you do as well, But not because of the celebration of Jesus' birth, unfortunately. It was because of the anticipation and the arrival of Santa Claus. It was about getting presents and not being raised in a Christian home 
the focus of the Christmas season wasn't to give attention to the real reason for the season, but to engage in the holiday because it was a good time to give gifts to friends, to family. The birth of Jesus was always just another story, like all the other Christmas stories. Oddly enough, I do remember Advent every year. And I'll just say more so as a concept. Uh, it wasn't in any religious form, except that it was a calendar. And it was representing a countdown to Christmas. And for me, it involved cutting out a Christmas tree with construction paper and gluing Hershey Kisses on it, 25 of them, so that every day I could eat one Hershey Kiss until that great day of Christmas on the 25th when we finally got to open presents. And that was about the extent of my Advent experience growing up. I'm sure my kids are pretty disappointed that I haven't continued that tradition, but I'm hopeful that we've been able to give them a better understanding of Advent than I did as a kid growing up. Regardless, the Advent calendar has become quite popular, but it's lost its meaning over the years. It has become more of a traditional countdown to Christmas than appreciation of the waiting for our Savior or the anticipation of the second coming of Christ. It is unfortunate, but not necessarily unexpected. I think that our society, and especially the mentality, that we need to have everything right when we want it, has completely changed the whole concept of what it means to wait. Especially when there isn't a defined period of time. I think we all instinctively go to the shortest line at Walmart so we don't have to wait as long. Our experience at amusement parks, when we were able to go to amusement parks, has changed. And not knowing how long you're going to wait for the ride just isn't an option anymore. We need to know that we aren't wasting any time. And the time we do spend waiting better be worth it. It seems like society's view of Advent and Christianity have changed in this way as well. Even in some churches, we see that convenience and preference have guided how some churches run their services. Not that it is all related to having to wait, but the urgency of getting what you want when you want it is a big cultural change that has affected our views of any kind of waiting. I sometimes catch myself saying, how painful it was to wait for something. Really painful. I have that perception. Maybe in a doctor's office. But most of the time, we have some sense of estimates of how long something's going to last. Or even take. There's some sense of discomfort along the way. In some instances, we're able to endure. We may accept a temporary time of discomfort or anxiety or distress as long as we know there will be some relief. And although for me, the eating of a Hershey kiss was not a way of causing any suffering or anxiety by having to wait for Christmas, it was a reminder that there was something bigger, there was something better that was coming, and that it added to the excitement of the day of Christmas. 
how many more days till Christmas? We hear it all the time. And whether we despise certain aspects of a commercialized holiday or not, the day does come and go. Some end up being relieved that it's over. And others get that unexpected dream gift of a Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle BB gun. Hopefully you get the Christmas story. Either way, it begs the question, was all of this really worth waiting for? Regardless of your experience, religious or not. The point is that we've all had our own views and experiences with Advent that all look very different based on our cultural experience, our upbringing. The same goes for the Christians who were there soon after the death of Jesus. As we look to 2 Peter today, we are looking at Advent from a first century Christian perspective. It is clear that what was considered an acceptable time for Christ to return was becoming more and more of an issue. It is very possible that at the time that 2 Peter was written, most had or knew firsthand of the crucifixion of Jesus. They knew and had hope in the plan for his return. And in Hebrews, it states in 9.28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So to better understand this aspect of Advent and the second coming of Christ, we need to use this passage in 2 Peter to understand where Peter is coming from. We need to know what issues were going on around him and why he was writing his letter. And how does this letter to the first century Christians apply to us and the world that we are living in today? 2 Peter was written to Christians who were being threatened by false teaching. Peter, in this third chapter, is nearing the end of his life. And as we enter into that third chapter, he begins to address the importance of the second coming of Christ. The first seven verses of the third chapter of Peter addresses the fact that scoffers will come in the last days following their own sinful desires. He then transitions into the passage where we'll be focusing our attention on verses 8 through 13. So notice that he starts this section of the chapter in a very important way. As he begins in verse 8, he says, we shouldn't overlook something very important here. And as we heard it when we went through Psalm 90 uh, several months back, he says that, Whatever those false teachers are trying to tell you, one way or another, whether they're telling you the Lord is coming tomorrow or never coming at all, don't overlook this fact. He says that with the Lord, that one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Psalm 94 says, For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday, When it is past, or as a watch in the night. In other words, from Old Testament to New Testament, and forever to come, God does not work in the constructs of any time frame. God doesn't have a watch to look at, 
to remind him how long something is taking. God is outside of time. And what God really is about is about his promises. Therefore, do not believe anyone who tells you that they know when God is going to do something, especially when it comes to Jesus' second coming. Verse 10 of 2 Peter says, He will come like a thief. Implying, of course, that a thief is never going to tell you that they're going to come to your house at 9 o'clock and take all of your things. He will come without anyone being able to predict it. He will come when we don't expect it. And that's a promise. But this does not mean that God has not figured out or already decided when Christ will return. Just like his birth and death, he knows precisely when and where and how everything is going to play out in the world we live in. And the things we do need to know about, he's already given us. And that's what's in the Bible. God is very specific and knows exactly when he wants things to happen. He knows precisely when Christ will return. He knew with precision about his birth, as in Galatians 4.4. It states, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And God knew the precision with which Jesus was to die. Jesus designed his own death to occur on a Friday afternoon at Passover in Jerusalem at exactly the time that Passover lambs were being slain. He had to plan every detail, including around all the evil plans of the Sanhedrin and the execution squad of the Roman soldiers. He had to die when Passover lambs were dying. He had to be in the ground before that day ended so that he would be dead for a period that encompassed three days, that he would be buried and fulfill the prophecy of being risen in three days. How much more precise could God have been to make that happen? Only God knows timing, and only he will know when Christ will return. The other attacks of the false teachers that occurred during this time from Peter's perspective were in respect to the character and the purpose of God. Again, imagine being a first century believer who may have witnessed or heard of the crucifixion of Christ and being told that Jesus will return year after year, decade after decade, and it doesn't happen. Knowing that God does not work on a time schedule, but being told that there will be a day of the Lord, that there will be a day of judgment, and then the scoffers still continuing to live their lives of sin without even considering a day of eternal judgment. How those false teachers must have asked, why, if there was a God, would he not be doing what he said he would do? What was he waiting for? Was he being slow in the process? 
Was this a defect in his own abilities? Is he actually like us and human? Procrastinates or gets preoccupied with other things instead of doing what needs to get done. No doubt people in the first century were thinking that the longer things went on, the less likely they thought that God really meant what he had said. But the answer to those questions were more about the shortcomings, or more about our shortcomings than the shortcomings of God. Of course God is not slow or defected, nor does he procrastinate. On the contrary, he is just the opposite in being precise and all-knowing and perfect. Us, on the other hand, as believers, the false teachers were wearing down those who had doubts and led them down the path of believing their false teaching. One of those teachings was the concept that since things haven't changed yet, then they won't ever change. If the second coming hasn't happened yet, why would it happen any time in the future? Why stop doing all these sinful things that we enjoy and repent when nothing is going to happen to us? The false teachers were discounting historical facts in their reasoning, even in reference to the flood. It never happened, and nothing like that will ever happen because nothing in the world is going to change. There will not be a day of the Lord, and they will never be judged for the sins that they have committed against him. They would tell them anything and everything that would deter them from what the, war, from what the Lord wanted them to do. Distract their attention to the things of this world, and taking care of their own needs and their own desires. Sounds pretty familiar and similar to how we are deceived today, right? One example that comes to mind applies to today is the overemphasis on the saving of the planet. To suggest that there is no second coming puts quite a responsibility on keeping the planet in the best shape possible and to do whatever it takes to make sure that it is taken care of. Even in some Christian circles, there is more attention on saving the earth instead of saving souls. Let's focus our attention on being green, preserving the earth, because didn't God tell you back in Genesis to take care of it? Doesn't your Bible say to rule over the earth, and doesn't that imply that we make sure that the environment is a priority? Let me ask you this, as we refer to verse 12. What happens if we as people actually have the ability to save the earth? That all the perceived science that suggests we are ruining this world is right. And we are able to change how long the world is able to sustain itself. If our true intent on doing all of this is for the preservation of the earth, then it is an absolute and tremendous waste of time. Yes, verse 12 says it right there. It itself that the earth and sky are all going to go up in flames. Look at it for yourself, second half. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Is that not what it says? Does it also then not make sense that we think a change in temperature is going to melt the ice caps enough to flood the earth and drown us all? 
Guaranteed not. How do I know? The Bible. Not me. The Bible. And of all places here in Hawaii, we should be reminded more than anyone because of the amazing rainbows we get to experience here almost every day. We are reminded that the Lord will never destroy the earth by water. And this is the promise that he made to Noah in Genesis 9. But what is it that might be inferred then from this promise, especially by false teachers at the time and even today? Did the Lord say that he would never destroy the earth by water or flood? Or did he say that he would never destroy the earth ever again? Well, contrary to tree huggers, global warming fanatics, and Earth Day everyday promoters, he will destroy this earth. Sorry. Actually, not sorry. Verse 10 says that the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. This means that the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe will all be destroyed. There are verses throughout the Bible that refer to the destruction of the earth, but not by water. As he will keep true to that promise, but instead, as Peter has told us here, he will destroy it by fire. And before we dive into uh, end times or eschatology in any more detail... We don't want to lose focus on where Peter is taking us in this scripture. Peter is warning us, the people, people is warning us of the people that we shouldn't be and to be on guard and observant of false teachers. But he also wants us to know the kind of people that we should be. Knowing that we want to be holy and godly people, what kind of people should we be? Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? And here it is, the latter part of the verse. He wants us to be people waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God. We should be people that are waiting and hastening, knowing that the Lord will return, knowing that the day of the Lord will come. Don't put your efforts into believing that this world will stay the same and that we need to preserve it or maintain it, especially when it takes precedence above and beyond seeking and spreading the truth of the gospel. This is how we hasten the day of the Lord, by not waiting without intent. There have been so many amazing accomplishments by man. Just look around. Man, as allowed by God, has built this world and all the modern conveniences that you enjoy, and you should enjoy them. We all should. They were made and developed by God's provision and meant for us to enjoy. But they were meant for us to enjoy within the context of not detracting from God's ultimate purpose for us. But rather to use them to fulfill that purpose. The Lord has provided a great hope for us as we start off this Advent season. And we have become very aware 
of what waiting looks like. Just look how anxious we have been with something that is not going to destroy the world. We have something to look forward to as believers, independent of the actual destruction of the world. Because the truth is, as believers, we don't have to worry if the world goes up in flames. The Bible tells us the second coming is a time that we should be hopeful for. A hope for a new earth. A hope for a new heaven where there is no sin. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That is what Peter is saying here. According to his promise, the waiting and the hastening, no matter how long it is, it gives us the hope of a world free from sin and destruction, free from the suffering of this world. And in this place where righteousness dwells, our hope in Jesus is fulfilled. We get to spend eternity with him our Lord and Savior. But unlike Peter, we do not know if the Lord is going to return in our lifetime or not. So what do we do? How do we live in a time of Advent, in a time of waiting, when we are required not to know when Christ will return? Do we sit and watch Netflix And then diligently pray for his return in hopes to be with Jesus sooner than later? Is this the example that we look to Jesus for? Is this what Jesus did while he was here on earth? Wait and pray? Jesus knew he was going to be sacrificed. Jesus knew he was going to die for the sins of the world. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed and beaten. Jesus knew he was going, what was going to happen to him, and he still never faltered in his diligence to pursue the lives of those who did not know him and live the perfect life, and no, that did not include watching Netflix. No, he did everything. He did everything he could to spread the gospel while he was alive. Jesus did not focus on any other issues while he was on earth, but to put his trust in his father. His father knew what the perfect timing was. He knew what the perfect timing was for him to be on earth. And he trusted in that. And he lived in that. So then does it really matter what... So does it really matter when the day of the Lord comes? Are you someone who likes pop quizzes? Or do you spend all of your time cramming the night before an exam? Whether or not he is coming soon or there are still hundreds to thousands of years before it happens, we are only here like Jesus was, for a slice in time. We are here to spread the good news of the gospel and show God's love for as long as he allows us to do that. We need to love the pop quiz so that we can always be ready. We need to love the accountability of knowing he could return at any minute. We need to learn to love always being ready for his return and never thinking that it is not going to happen in our lifetime. Appreciate this time of waiting and make use of it like Jesus would. 
He is our hope during these uncertain times. Continue to spread the good news of the gospel, even though we don't know what life will be like in a post-pandemic era. Even though we don't know how many days we have on this earth, and especially not knowing if Jesus is going to return today, tomorrow, or the next. Advent is about hope. So don't let the false teachers of this world and in your life keep you from living the life that he intended for you. The Lord has been patient with you, and he is being patient for those who do not yet believe. Verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some would count slowness, but that he is patient toward us, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all should reach repentance. What more could we ask for from a loving God than to be patient with us? And for those who don't know him yet, to come to know him and to love him. And that we should all come to the understanding of the importance of repentance. We all know family, friends, loved ones that we pray for to come to know the Lord. And God knows them too. Some of them may be here today and have put their faith in doubting God or believing false teaching that the day of the Lord will never come again. Peter assures us that not only will the Lord come again, but bring with him a new place for us where there is no more sin and there is no more suffering. There is no more waiting and that this earth will no longer exist. Peter gives us a renewed sense of hope in a time when patience and waiting seem more difficult than ever. We want Christ to return and have hope. We want Christ to return and have hope in that. But we should also know that it is time to hasten how we reach out to the world, to let them know about Christ, what he has done, and what he will, and what he will do when he returns. So for those of us who have been waiting for the things of this world to get better, and have put our hope in a world that is eventually going to be burnt to a crisp, the Lord has invited us today to understand him and Advent from the eyes of Peter. We have hope in this time of Advent, and instead of repeating the mantra of, oh dear Lord Jesus, come, please come, so we don't have to live on this earth anymore, may we change our perspective in light of knowing how great your return will be, and that we as believers will replace that mantra with a focus on salvation, of save, Jesus, save. Save the false teachers, save the non-believers, and convince them yourself that the day of the Lord will come. And with that, let me finish by reminding you of this passage from Revelation. And may it give you a true sense of that glorious day of the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... The one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, 
and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were followed him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise to return to us at the day, time, and hour that you have already decided upon. That only you know when that is and that we will not be distracted or deterred from the purpose you have given us as we wait and also as we hasten your return. May we see this time of Advent to give us a new perspective in our understanding of your second coming. May it give us the hope that we need through these difficult times. You are our strength, and we are so thankful that you have prepared a place for us with you for eternity. We love and adore you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.